Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Spinning Back Click, where each week here at MMA Junkie, we take a spin through the biggest stories in MMA. On this week's docket, UFC 294 in Abu Dhabi has a main event. We'll tell you about it. Israel Adesanya, he's still looking for a dance partner. And Salt Lake City, are you jazzed up for this weekend's card? Fada, you're a hooster. I hope you appreciated that silly joke. All that and much, much more. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Gorgeous George. And with me, as always, some of the sharpest minds in the M- in the in MMA. <laughs> Joining me this week, SBC creator goes from MMA Junkie Radio. He's here in Sin City. Danny Segura is back. That's Lionel Messi's new neighbor. He joins us from the 305. And our international superstar reporter, Farah Hanoun, links up with us from Morocco. Cold coffees on the ones and twos. Let's get to it. Abu Dhabi, you have your main event. Islam Makashev will be defending his lightweight title versus Charles Oliveira at UFC 294 on October 21st. Fresh off his win over Benil Dariush last month, Chucky Olives now gets another crack at Makashev. Paulo Costa and Hamza Shemaev will tangle in the main event, in case you're wondering. The UFC has partners in Abu Dhabi, guys, so they usually like delivering for them and stocking those yearly cards when they come to town. In your eyes, did the UFC nail it or nah? Danny, you go first. They did, considering the scenario that they were presented in, because there were no options, or at least options that made sense. Um, there was a few names thrown out there, Volkanovski being one of them, which obviously I would love to see that fight at some point, but I would hate for the first two title defenses of the lightweight champion to be against a non-lightweight against the 45 champion. That doesn't make any sense to me. The winner of Poirier versus Gagey, which we will see this Saturday, that sounds nice, but... We know how their f- first fight went, plus their history. So we know they're going to take some damage in that fight. I mean, it is the BMF title fight for a reason. And you just start looking around at what's left at 155, and there's really no clear opponent for Islam Makashev. That name, I think, should have been Benio Darius. They should have saved them for a title fight. It would have felt big. It would have felt like, hey, look, a deserving contender in a lengthy uh, win streak. We only have... Charles Oliveira coming off a single win since losing to Islam Makashev, so that's not ideal. But they end up booking that fight, and the winner was Charles Oliveira. So at the end of the day, given the current circumstance which the UFC found themselves in, I think this is the best scenario. And I'm actually a bit surprised. I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I've seen a lot of enthusiasm about this fight and still a lot of doubt on who will, will the winner be despite literally watching this fight a year ago and having a clear dominant win for Islam Makashev. It just seems that Charles Oliveira, now uh, I believe he's called um, Illuminated Charles Oliveira. That's what's uh, going on on, online. Uh, A lot of people still have high hopes for him. A lot of people still think he can get the job done, enough to cause a lot of buzz, a lot of interest in this title fight. So I do think this is the best option the UFC had, uh, given the, the current circumstances. 
All right, Fada, I know you'll be there to cover the event for us. What do you think? Did this make a good enough splash for your neck of the woods? Yeah, this is the thing. So I agree with Danny uh, in the sense that they had no, like no real choice because Volkanovski is coming off of surgery. He said he'll be ready, but we can't guarantee that. And then you've got uh, Gaethje. I just listened to an interview uh, that he did with CBS Sports, and he was saying 0% chance I probably would have turned around if I beat Dustin Poirier. We both know that those guys get into a car crash type of fight. So with tickets going on sale and stuff, they kind of needed a, a fight. So waiting on... Uh, either Volkanovski to be healthy or an outcome between Gaethje and Poirier where we know we're kind of guaranteed a war, uh, it's kind of tough to to rely on that. So I, I'm not against it. And at the end of the day, uh, Oliveira has wins over the entire top five, uh, being Michael Chandler, Justin Gaethje, um, Dustin Poirier, and Benil Dariush. So and when you look at it that way, uh, he, he deserves that rematch. It's just... My only question is, and it's probably something that I would want to ask fans in Abu Dhabi maybe once I touch down, is their enthusiasm level because like Danny said we just had this fight a year ago and it was a pretty dominant uh showing for Islam Makhachev so uh that's kind of what I want to ask if, uh, if perhaps are the people that are buying tickets for this is the enthusiasm level the same getting the exact same uh main event or is it just about you know we get to see Islam Makhachev uh compete now don't forget you know this was the worst case scenario for Charles Oliveira last year I feel like it could couldn't have gone worse for him so there is that idea to think that he probably will do better than he did last year. So uh, in, in that regard. So I'm a bit uh, kind of 50-50 uh, about it, but I understand why the UFC went with it. And I'm not saying that Oliveira doesn't deserve another shot. It's just the way he lost last year. I can understand why it could be a tiny bit of a hard sell for fans that are buying tickets. All right. Um, and goes. let's get your take. But before that, let me also sprinkle this in. We interviewed Charles Oliveira at the... UFC Fight Expo. He showed no interest in going to Abu Dhabi. In fact, he didn't want to fight in October. He said maybe November or December. And you could just see his body language because he had probably been asked this question all over Radio Row, but he really wanted to get the message across. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. So that, and along with taking Costa off UFC 291 and putting him on this card, for me, it just didn't have that impact. How about you? Mm, that's an interesting way of looking at it. You're right. You know, and as Danny and Farah brought it up, it's kind of interesting. I would want to see how people react to it on that side of the world, because uh, even though on paper, yeah, it's a great matchup. We just we did just see it. You know, I wonder if, if they were kind of hoping to see something different. The matchup itself is really interesting because, you know, you have a guy like Charles Oliveira, who obviously has a lot to prove right coming into this fight. There's a lot for him to prove. But on the other side, um, you know, you have a guy coming in off of a win who feels like he's got a lot to prove, right? People are saying he was pushed to the limits by a 145-er. So both guys are going to be coming in with, I think, a little bit of a, a chip on their shoulder. I got to give Charles Oliveira props for taking this fight. You're right, George. He did not look like he was interested in this time frame at all. Uh, he did it. He's going back to the scene of the crime where this happened the first time, which I have to imagine is pretty tough to do for a fighter to go out there and just kind of relive where one of your biggest mistakes happened in front of millions and millions of people. Sometimes that reset of a different venue, different opponent kind of helps, but the dude earned it. You know, Benil Darius, that is no cupcake. That is a tough fight. He went in and he got the finish. He earned everybody's respect. And then you add on this co-main event to this card. I, man, I'm, I'm more on the side of they nailed it than I am. Nah. Okay. Well, let's do some follow-ups here. 
And I want to welcome the audience on Facebook. Here comes one from Facebook, Michael Lawrence. He says, I hate no one talks about Charles' mental state coming into the fight last year. That wasn't the Oliveira we were used to seeing. This time around, I believe he'll be ready on all fronts and takes the title back. I guess, Fada, can I go back to you? I mean, you covered the event. You probably saw him more than anybody. Is Michael Lawrence kind of on to something? I don't remember all this uh, happening about a year ago, did it? Honestly, he looked confident. But then again, the fighters don't always show what's going on behind the scenes. So in terms of media day and his attitude, I was around his team quite a bit as well. Talked to his uh, coach as well, Diego Lima. No, they were losing confidence heading into this matchup. Uh, there was a... I felt like kind of like a fire uh, from Charles Oliveira. I don't know in the sense of if he felt like they were being underestimated or what exactly. But again, like I said, behind the scenes is a completely uh, different thing. But somebody brought this up in, in the comments as well. Something to do. Yeah, only if he, uh, Michael Lawrence as well, only if he's actually healthy. Yeah, that's another point, right? Because he just, you know, said that he was might not be ready to go for October. And it seemed like that was the 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 stories that we were all writing that, okay, who's next? Because Oliveira is not ready. And all of a sudden he's in this fight. So, um yeah, I don't know if he's 100% healthy. I really hope he is. And I and then again, we're talking about the mental state. If he was just a few moments ago saying he wasn't going to be ready for October and all of a sudden he's fighting, I don't know. But either way, does he have the skills to make this a, a great fight? Absolutely. We just, like I said, we didn't see any, really any of that. And that's credit to Islam Makhachev, of course. But because I feel like that was kind of the worst case scenario, if Charles Arbeer looks at it like that, like, all right, that was the worst I had, I still have a lot to show Islam Makachev, we could get a, an exciting fight, that's for sure. Especially maybe that he's not looking at Islam as invincible after uh, that close fight with Volkanovski. Dixon in the chat. I'm not going to fall for it, Dixon. He says it's a weak card. Um, here's the rest of it, to be fair. Nasruddin Imavov against Ikram Aliskarov. And then there's, uh, I believe, Mohamed Mokayev against Tim Melliot, plus the other two that I mentioned. If you're just joining the show, Islam Makachev versus Charles Oliveira. Main event, Paulo Costa versus Hamza Shemaev. Co-main event for UFC 294, October 31st, Abu Dhabi. Uh, yeah, tickets had to go on sale, so that's what they gave us for, for to start off. And I guess, I guess it's not so bad. Look, they'll probably stock it with some more talent. But uh, again, I think some of, at least what I'm feeling, had to do with that conversation we had with Charles. I mean, Charles mm -hmm. was so blunt. He even said, if they give it to someone else, I'll get the winner. I was like, wow, he's really passing things up. He must be hiding something or he just doesn't want to get into another weight camp and, and have to go through another weight cut. Um, fight camp, I should say, in a weight cut. And I don't know, kind of shocked me to tell you the truth. Maybe they just added a zero to that paycheck, though. Yeah. But that come fight night, wiser, come right? fight night, George, you're, you're going to have goosebumps, especially when you add in all the little storylines that go into it, right? Like if Charles loses this fight, he's in no man's land, right? That's two losses mm -hmm. to that guy. And, and Let's be honest. In the past, Charles Oliveira is kind of hard to match up. A lot of people don't want to fight him. Uh, so if they don't have to, I think they try and avoid him. And then when you think about it, like that fight that everybody wants to see again, Char uh, sorry, Alexander Volkanovsky, that if Charles Oliveira wins this fight, like we get further and farther from maybe seeing that fight. I don't know. Like it, it's it's such a weird thing. But I, I think come fight night, we're all going to have the goosebumps, man. I think it's going to be a good fight. I think overall it's a pretty solid card. Okay. One more, one more. Uh, keep them coming. These are some good ones here. JD Realty YT says, question for the panel. When have you seen Charles start a fight with a jumping switch kick from miles away? The moment got to him, This that won't happen uh, this time around. Did you guys uh, kind of see that? Maybe nerves? Forget about preparation, injuries. Just uh, 
maybe nerves. I mean, he was going up against the guy that everybody said is Habib 2.0, and that's pretty much a scary proposition. As far as the kick goes, I, I think he was just trying to get a feel for what a lot of Charles Oliveira. And, and I think there are things you can point to that that maybe maybe it just wasn't his night. But uh, who's to say that doesn't happen a second time around, right? Like, that's just part of fighting. It's what happens. Every fighter goes through it at some point. Okay. All right. Well, we can revisit this topic if we have some time at the end. Questions were great. Let's get going on to the next topic. Now that October is settled, let's address September's pay-per-view, UFC 293. That takes place in Sydney, Australia, as you all know, September 9th. That card does not have an official main event. We thought it might be Israel Adesanya versus Drikas Duplessis, though according to Adesanya, that fight could be off, and now Sean Strickland might be his dance partner. What's your reaction to this shakeup? Does the UFC deserve most of the blame here for not having the main event sorted out? Is it fair or foul for me to say that? Farah, we'll start to you. Well, this is a very similar situation to the Issa Makachev headlining Abu Dhabi thing, right? Because when those shows were announced, the UFC knew who they wanted as a headliner. Now, the problem is the timeline doesn't always pan out where you're going to have a challenger that's ready to go. I know that Adesanya had said that Drikas uh, has a sore foot and he, he kind of mocked him and he said he's not going to be ready. He said, all right, let's go Strickland. But I was just listening and I wrote a story off of this this morning. I was listening to uh, an interview that Drikas did on his teammate Cameron Simon's uh, podcast. He never said he was not going to be uh, ready for UFC 293. Now, maybe Adesanya knows something that we don't. Maybe he spoke to the UFC. But Drikas, that podcast he did was four days ago, perhaps a day after uh, Adesanya put out that statement. And I'm going to read a part of the quote real quick here. He said, I'm definitely going to have to go on a little holiday. That's what Duplessis was saying. I've been active. You need to celebrate these moments. Uh, that was one thing that I thought when I landed on home soil. Uh, everybody starts talking about, okay, what's next? Adesanya. And I'm like, whoa, I just beat Robert Whitaker, one of the greatest fighters ever and one of my heroes. I'm not going to be ta even talking about the other fight right now. I just want to, for this week, give me time to just celebrate this. So he didn't really say, uh, no, I'm out. I can't do it. Didn't mention anything about an injury. Now, again, like I said, Adesanya could know something that we don't. So I'm not ready to say that Strickland's 100% in. Also, Strickland did an interview with Helen Yee, I believe, and he said, UFC, pay me. I don't blame him because he has really saved some fights for them, taken on short notice Nasruddin Imavov. So I have no problem with him saying that. But what is he asking for? Is he asking for astronomical numbers that the UFC is going to be like, no? Or, but I, knowing Strickland, I don't think he's asking for anything astronomical. Again, so a lot of moving pieces. I don't know. I'm not ready to say that this is happening for sure. I think I'd rather wait until Drikas speaks up with the UFC just officially announces it. But like I said, this all happened because Sydney, they want Adesanya as the main event, exactly what we saw with Issam Makhachev, Abu Dhabi. They want him as the main event, and that's why we're getting the Oliver rematch. All right. How about you guys? What was your reaction to this possible shakeup? Again, I'm saying possible because we don't know anything official yet. And is the UFC to blame for kind of taking a while, you know, when we're less than two months away? Yeah, I mean, you definitely want to be able to get in on that promotion and everything. But at the end of the day, if you're a fan and you're going to uh, attend this, like really, as long as Israel Adesanya is attached to it, you know you're going to get your money's worth, right? From the walkout through the fight. Uh, I don't think fans really will be tripping at all, regardless if it's Duplessis or if it's Sean Strickland. Now, the Duplessis fight, that's the thing, is that one feels like it has to happen. Sean Strickland just seems like it's its a matter of circumstances that he's there. Nobody's going to hate on it. Um, Sean Strickland's a good fighter. 
You know, he always shows you that he came to fight. You, you never see a fight of his and just say, oh, this guy didn't train or, you know, he he came in overweight. Like the dude's always ready to go. He always gives you a good fight. And, you know, he's going to promote the hell out of the fight. He's going to get under Izzy's skin, which really isn't that hard to do. And uh, regardless, I mean, you, you know, if you get the other side of the coin, Duplessis, he's probably going to do the same thing. You know, he's already kind of under his skin. So either way, I think it's going to be a win-win. Um, I know a, a name that kind of got thrown out there as well as Jared Cannonier. He spoke up and, and he didn't really like the fact that his name wasn't being brought up. But this is the thing that you have to understand. You can't hate him for bringing it up. But at the same time, you're talking about a guy at, in Israel Adesanya that has a lot of rematches on his record. And to put another one on there, it's just not something that fans are going to want to see. I think, unfortunately, for Jared Cannonier. It's going to be a, a while, I think, before they get back to him just because of how rematch heavy Izzy is and because, you know, of, of the heat that you could possibly get off of Sean Strickland and then DDP. Obviously, there's a storyline there. So uh, I hope at the end of the day it is DDP. But at the same time, I kind of understand him having to kind of step away for a second and, and figure things out. But uh, like I said, at the end of the day, Sean Strickland's not not the worst thing in the world. I think fans are going to be happy either way. All right. And Danny, before we get your take, let me go back to Facebook. Michael Lawrence is killing it. He says, is Dracus playing mind games with Izzy? Like, is this just kind of some sort of delayed tactics and eventually it will be him after all? You think what's going on in your mind? Yeah, I think it's possible. Um, I also think like the Charles situation, maybe they were ready or maybe they just don't see it as the, the most favorable timeline for them to fight but they'll play a little bit hard to get just so the UFC can throw them a little bit more money their way. Like that can totally be a possibility. Uh, speaking about Charles, and I know we touched on that already, but maybe he is ready for, for October. It's just, he wants a little bit more money and he sees uh, an opportunity there to, to, to add a little bit to his check. This could be the case with Drix Duplessis or he could be playing man ga- um, mind games as, um, as our uh, commenter mentioned, just basically letting Israel Adesanya know like, Hey, look, it's also in my timeline. It's not whenever you want, and and I'll say, uh, you know, I'll say I'm ready whenever whenever I am. Um, it's not your decision to say, hey, you know, you're fighting me in this date. So maybe that could be it as well. We'll see. But um, I, I certainly think that given the Robert Whitaker win plus the bad blood that he has with Adesanya, I think Drakus Duplessis also knows that he also has some power in this equation. Usually, that's not the case for most challengers, so they'll just take a title fight on short notice, on enemy territory, under whatever circumstances injured, because they know title fights are hard to come by in the UFC. But given the fact that Israel Asanya has a ton of rematches on him, plus he is literally the most deserving contender sporting-wise and storylines and bad blood and all that and promotion-wise, he's also the just happens to be the biggest. He also holds some cards in this equation. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's also exercising them. So he's like, okay, yeah, go ahead, fight um, – Fight Strickland. I'll fight you somewhere else that's not your home country, somewhere else that, you know, it's not the timeline that suits you best. I just fought Robert Whitaker, just went through a training camp. So maybe we're seeing Drukas Duplessis exercise some of his power here. Could be. Uh, This card is coming along a little further than UFC 294 in terms of numbers. We got Kai Car France and Manel Kopp, Carl's Altberg against Jundan Un. Vivian Araujo against Casey O'Neill, Taitui Voss against Alexander Volkov. There's a few more there, about another five that I haven't mentioned. But whereas the other one was top heavy, not this one. And they haven't been to Sydney in a few years. So you would think 
they'd want to get this in order pretty quick. Tuesday's matchmaker meeting day. So keep it locked on MMA Junkie here as we got you covered 24-7. Uh, how do you want it to weigh in? Yeah, I was saying, like, if, if Adesanya said something about Drikus having an issue with his foot, maybe he does. And maybe Drikus told the UFC, just give me a week or two to let you know how serious my foot injury is. And maybe then he'll give them an answer. So I don't think Adesanya throwing that out there is something he made up. He probably heard something and he was just trying to get the ball rolling, being like, all right, right, you know, after all this talk, all right, Strickland, come in. So maybe Drikus does have a, an issue with his foot that he just needs a week or two to evaluate and see if he can make. 293. So, I mean, maybe that's why we haven't gotten an announcement yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that would uh, reaffirm that Izzy can't do our job like he says he can. He's obviously not con- <laughs> communicating the news very well, then, if that is the case. Um, but we sure as hell can't do what Izzy does. So, we're right, even hey, Steven on that one. But yeah, at the ahead. end of the day, don't you guys want, like, the fairest fight? I, I, I want DDP to come in at 100%. To me, I feel like there's a lot on the line on this fight, not just belt but you know a lot of pride a lot of things have been said i want a 100 percent uh ddp in this fight and if i can't get that then give me strickland for the time being and come back to it but i i really don't i really hope he doesn't just limp into a fight just because it's right time right place yeah for sure i, I want yeah. that and 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 i want you know strickland or cannon here if they have to step up on short notice to to get paid as well because once you lose you know, it's hard to get back there. So you got to maximize. You got to weigh the risks. You know, is is it worth the seven fight camp in which a week or two is basically you traveling and then readjusting to another part of the world? You know, that's hard on the body, man. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sure. Danny, do you want to say something or did I miss that? No, no, no. That's okay. I think we, we wrapped it up pretty well. OK. All right. Just checking. All right, uh, folks. Listen, right now is a good time for me to say this. Hit the like and subscribe button if you like what you're seeing. If not, well, I don't know what's wrong with you because we got experts every week here for one hour that talk about the latest news in mixed martial arts. Unfortunately, we couldn't get them this week, so we got Fada, Danny, and Goes. But most of the time, <laughs> we're stacked. You got to tune in. Noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. We discuss all the biggest stories in MMA. And if you want the actual notification of when we're on live, hit that little bell. All right. Of course, I'm joking. These three are awesome. Topic number three. Is it just recency bias, guys? Or does Jones versus Aspinall sound right right about now? At the beginning of the year, it was all about Ngannou versus Jones. A few months ago, it was Jones versus Pavlovich. That was all the talk. A few weeks ago, we were told Jones versus Miocic is booked for UFC 295 in November uh, in New York. But if Jones wins and decides to continue fighting, what would you like to see next in that division? Goes, you lead off. I think we all have short memories, you know, when it comes to these types of situations. Like Aspinall did look great. He sure um, did. But there's a lot of time that we have to wait to get to John versus Stipe, right? And when that happens, John has to win the fight. He has to win the fight over arguably one of the greatest heavyweights that ever lived. Now, we haven't seen Stipe for a long time. We don't know which guy's going to show up, but our, it's still going to be a tough matchup, right? So when that happens, then we got to hope John's healthy to get into another one. Like, I, I just feel like... You know, we're, we're going to see Aspinall. We're going to see Pavlovich again. They're not going to fight each other. I promise that. But I think we're going to see them. And um, it, it's like the heavyweight division. It goes in phases. And right now, I think what's popping is that smaller guy that's quicker but can still pack a punch. And that's what you get out of Pavlovich. That's what you get out of Aspinall. I think that's what makes things a little interesting when you're talking about John Jones. Because we're trying to figure out different styles that can actually take this guy on with uh, Francis Ngannou gone. 
you know, it's, I'm not going to say it's slim pickings, but it's definitely uh, a little less on the experience. Even if you go to a guy who we just beat and, and a surreal gone, like there's not a lot of experience out there. So we have to look at these things. Now, when you really break it down, we've been doing this shit for years, haven't we? Trying to figure out who's going to beat John Jones, what style is going to beat John Jones, whatever we bring up. He has an answer for us. So chances are he's probably going to have an answer. But I'll tell you what, you can't beat Father Time. And eventually this dude's going to have to start to slow down a little bit. And guys like Aspinall, guys like Pavlovich, they're the ones that can maybe be right time, right place to take advantage of that. But for me, I still feel like Pavlovich has a little bit of a lead as far as who I think can take out a guy like John Jones. He has a little bit of a lead over Aspinall, but Aspinall does seem like he's still getting better. Well, the Englishman says he will be front row for Pavlovich versus gone. Uh, I like the way he laid things out, but even better, I like the way he performed on Saturday. All right, how about you, Danny Segura? Was Aspinall, you know, did he become a, a front runner here in the possible Jones sweepstakes after Stephen Miocic? In fact, answer me this. should Who should be the uh, the substitute or whatever we call him, the backup? Maybe, maybe uh, Pavlovich, that way he's a two-time Backup fighter, you know, that's I think that there might be some history there. I don't know, especially if it's back to back. But look, no, I, I love Aspinall. I think he looked great. Uh, clearly, he is, um, as you mentioned, George, kind of the the new style of fighting at heavyweight. We've seen Cyril Gan kind of be the pioneer of that a bit. But it seems that Tom Aspinall is a little bit more complete. He's got the quickness. He's got the speed. He's agile. But he also has wrestling and grappling as well, something that Gan doesn't have or at least hasn't shown it to this point um so yeah he does it definitely seems to be like the the i guess new heavyweight 2.2.0 or whatever you want to call it but I, I don't think he's yet at a point to be challenging for john jones and even aspinall recognize that like yes that's his dream but he's going to show up in paris and try to take on uh the winner of, of gone versus spivak so i think he knows there there needs to be some work there and from a John Jones standpoint, like, yeah, I would love to see John Jones fight Aspinall, but I would love to see John Jones fight anybody. And I think the fight to make is always going to be Francis Ngannou. So long Francis Ngannou or John Jones, you know, don't have a decline and then they start losing. But as long as those two guys keep winning, that's the fight to make. Let's not make any mistake about that. So, yes, Aspinall is obviously a, an attractive fight, a good fight for John Jones. But there's so many fights that are interesting for John Jones. So, again, I'm all in. We'll see if John Jones sticks around long enough to see Tom Aspinall become a title challenger? I would say no, because after beating Stipe, legacy-wise, there is very little to gain unless you somehow find a way to fight Ngannou. And money-wise, I, I would assume he's been making uh, a ton of money, plus this new contract that he got with Francis Ngannou gone. I'm sure it's it's pretty pretty stacked, pretty fat as well. So um, I don't think money is going to be an issue for John Jones. But look, never say never. We know that fighters in general just have the tendency to stick around a, a bit longer past their prime they get a little greedy those checks are coming in uh nicely you know at the end of their career when their name is the biggest so maybe we see it but um i, I i'm i would if i were a betting man i'd, I'd say john jones retires after if he beats steve miocic i think he retires from the sport all right good stuff from danny segura now father you were live at the o2 arena in london so you got to see a live version of my man floating like a butterfly and stinging like a bee. I mean, he looked great. He made me forget about Ngannou versus Jones. Of course, I still want to see it. But Ngannou's signing to fight Fury. I'm thinking he's doing that. And now, you know, Jones has some 
possible uh, opponents. How about you? What were your thoughts uh, on that matchup? And, and do, do, you know, do you feel like me, like maybe Aspinall might have stolen the show and moved up a couple spots here? Well, look, I don't know if he even got touched against Martin Tabora. So he had a, an incredible showing. He was coming off of an injury last year, uh, obviously an unfortunate uh, outcome against Curtis Blades, 18 seconds in, blowing out his knee. So he had a lot that he was dealing with going into the fight with Tabora. Uh, he looked incredible, got the quick finish. He even said he was expecting this to be a five-round battle, and I almost weirdly think that would have done him better just because those are kind of the question marks that were going into that fight. What if Tabora drags him into deep, deep waters? What's Aspinall going to look like in the championship rounds? Now, I can't blame him that he's putting these guys away so quickly, but, you know, he knows it himself. You know, he said he's going to fly to Paris, and he wants to fight uh, the winner of Spivak and Gan. I think he should have called out Sergei Pavlovich because that's the guy that was the backup and that's the guy yeah. that was supposed to fight for the belt had Stipe uh, not been around. So um, I think he should have called out Pavlovich when he was asked about that. He said, look, I've been booked against him twice and he withdrew. So maybe he just doesn't trust uh, that this matchup is going to happen if he is booked against him. But I think that's the call out he should have made because Pavlovich is the guy that got people excited for a second. Like, look at this guy putting people away so quickly uh look at the power he's got in his hands what if he touches jones blah 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 so i think that's the call out he should have made i feel like he almost took a little bit steam off of his own win by going after the winner of of gan and St uh, spivak uh not because of anything i mean spivak is very underrated and gan obviously you know he's been in the title picture quite a bit recently and he has a lot of uh good wins in the heavyweight division former interim champion but i don't know i feel like Momentum-wise, you should have gone after that Pavlovich uh, call-out. That's just me. But again, like I said, he explained his reason. He said he'd be down for Pavlovich, FYI. But yeah. um, you are kind of knocking off a contender, though, when you do that. So that would kind of be my only issue and maybe why the UFC potentially wouldn't go that direction. But then again, is John Jones even sticking around? That is the question. Man, can can I ask you guys something? Like Not just you guys, but the chat room, if that fight were to happen. I don't think they would do it because they would knock off a contender, but... If Aspinall and Pavlovich won, who would you lean towards? Do you want me to? Me, I can. Uh, because of the grappling, I would I would say Aspinall. Now, I'm not going to look back at Pavlovich's UFC debut against Overeem and, and hold that against him because that was such a long time ago. But I think uh, Aspinall, maybe I would say, is the uh, more complete fighter. But again, uh, Pavlovich has shown us that he's got that uh, touch, uh, touch of death. So uh, I don't know. But... Um, I don't know. I think Aspinall, just because of his grappling, I would lean towards him. But both of guys have been putting guys away so quickly, so I can't even lean on an experience or uh, factor. So just purely based on, on the matchup, I'd lean Aspinall. Let's go to another member in the panel, George in Las Vegas. George, what do you think? Well, I don't like them two guys killing each other off, for sure. Um, so I would not book Aspinall versus Pavlovich. I think we need a future to the heavyweight division because it is possible Jones could move on. But it nowadays, who knows what these fighters are thinking? If they're just if that's their, I don't want to say lame, but sorry excuse for negotiating tactics. You know what I mean? And by sorry, I mean the UFC's made it that way. Like it's not someone that has a guaranteed contract and just can honor it and they're happy about it. Instead, they realize that after every fight, they're popping just a little bit more. Now they want to cash in. Who knows? Like Danny makes a good point. Okay. I, I know what he meant. Cause I didn't want to like play a gotcha moment, but obviously Miocic, I think is five years older than Jones. So he's really the older guy here, but 
Jones has been doing this for a while now, and a lot of times it's wear and tear. You know, not not so much uh, your date of birth that we kind of talk about. And I think for Jones, that's what it's been is he's just been doing it for such a long time and at a high level for such a long time. I mean, think about how many championship fights the guys had. A lot of them have gone to the to uh, the whole 25 minutes. So it's like he's had a lot more fights than others have. But who knows? Because like he also said, these are some big checks these guys start to cash when they get towards the end. And I still believe, guys, that there needs to be a stadium fight here in Las Vegas now that we have a stadium with a roof. That means we're not sitting there thinking, oh, we can only do it this part of the uh, the time because it's too hot or monsoon season or it's too cold. No, we can have a proper fight here in Las Vegas. They don't even have to play the game about, I think, back Croke Park. Remember when they used to talk about it, why they wouldn't go to London? and Sorry, uh, Dublin. And it used to be like just getting all that production over there. It was going to be very, very expensive. And anyway, since neither Jones or Jones or McGregor has to headline that stadium here in Las Vegas when they do it. And uh, McGregor has even jumped back into the pool. Jones is now threatening retirement. That's the part that bums me out the most. Goes And now Ngannou's gone. I thought he was another one that could have done it. Diaz is gone. I'm sure he can come back. But it's just ridiculous to me because I thought Dana was all in on once that stadium was built, he was going to beat Mayweather or any boxing superstar to having a show there. And they haven't. And I've seen some great stadium shows go off for KSW in Poland. Boxing, we had um, Klitschko versus Joshua. That was epic, guys. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, and the UFC thinks had like four of them themselves. We got to get it. We just got to get it. But I went to your restaurant and ordered chicken parm, and you just gave me spaghettios. You didn't even answer my question. But what was the question? Aspinall or Pavlovich? Who wins that fight? Who wins the fight? Okay. Um, at this point, I like Aspinall a little bit more. I think he's more well-rounded, like Pata said. But I'm telling you, there was something. And I, I know JD, for like the 10th time, has mentioned in the chat that his head movement's lacking, right? But look, this guy's exploding right and he really moves around well uh he has great footwork and look there right there i saw some nice head movement to avoid, avoid that punch. so i wouldn't say he's got zero head movement but a lot of the times i mean this guy's just going in on it you know and with four ounce gloves you know he's trying to make he's trying to wonder whether he can get like look at him a clinch uh a muay thai clinch or maybe deliver a knee right there you know what i mean so i, I don't know that we've seen enough to to just put that label on him necessarily, but I really lean towards Aspinall. I think he's just more well-rounded and I really love the way he moves around and his hand speed is amazing. So that's who I would go with. Go. Sorry about the SpaghettiOs. <laughs> I'm going to go Pavlovich too. How about you, Danny? I'm going to go Aspinall, but if, if we want to switch this around and, and instead of what'd you order again, <laughs> I ordered chicken parm instead of chicken parm. I'm going to give you some empanadas. Um, if I want to sort of, re, you know, change the question around, be like, who is the biggest threat to John Jones? If John Jones obviously stays as champion, uh-huh. I, I think I'll go with Pavlovich. Um, I think technique for technique, you're not going to beat John Jones. I think you're going to have to rely a little bit. And I, it sounds a bit disrespectful, but on the lucky punch. Um, and man, uh, if anybody can maximize sort of that lucky punch uh, factor, that puncher's chance factor, um, it's got to be. Pavlovich, right? Like his power, his speed is is unseen 
at heavyweight. And also, he's got this thing that goes beyond just the physical. It's kind of this I don't give an F attitude in the sense that um, I can see a scenario, and I'm not saying this will happen. Again, all respect to Aspinall, but I can see a scenario where, you know, he talks so highly of John Jones that maybe the moment does get to him and he underperforms or or just isn't himself. But, like, when it comes down to Pavlovich, I feel like you put anybody in there. I mean, you can bring Muhammad Ali back somehow, like, you know, from from in a time machine prime, and he still wouldn't show him any respect. It just seems like Pavlovich just goes in there to put you out. And I feel like that's kind of what's needed to – to beat a guy like John Jones. So um, I'll pick Aspinall to beat um, Pavlovich, but if who has the better chance in beating John Jones, I'll go with Pavlovich, if that makes any sense. All right. Your empanadas, George. I mean, I love yeah, it. I love it. Thank Let, you. <laughs> uh, let's go to the next topic here. While UFC London didn't smash like it usually does, it did have some buzz, and most of that buzz can be attributed to Tom Aspinall's successful comeback. But let's give some shine to someone who might have flown under the radar and tell us why. Danny, we're going to go back to you. Go for it. I'm going to go with Nathaniel Wood. Um, he is 3-0 and since moving up to 145. Um, he does seem a little bit smaller than the rest of the featherweights, but so far undefeated and it's working for him. And he was always somebody, as soon as he entered the UFC, that had a lot of promise. Um, and, you know... I mean, his nickname is The Prospect. And I'm not saying that totally faded away, but I think expectations did lower. But I think with this run at 145, those expectations are kind of starting to get uh, some life once again um, because, you know, he did have some setbacks at 135. But uh, at 145, look, he's beating Charles Rosa, Charles Jourdain, and Andre Philly. Those are all vets. Those are all very, very good guys. And, uh, you know, Philly at some point was ranked, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if, it, if he's even still ranked, but he's looking good. Um, he's only 29 years old. So I would like to see him get some of these big names. He called out Korean Zombie. He called out Edson Barbosa. I believe uh, Korean Zombie's fighting well, Max Holloway. So that fight's not going to happen, at least for now. Barbosa doesn't have an opponent. So I feel like that's that's plausible. But I certainly like to see him get tested because it feels like he may be one of the top 15 fighters in the world at 145 pounds. He's obviously not yet in the rankings. We'll see once they update it if, if he finds a spot with this 3-0 run. But certainly I'm starting to like think that he might just be between you know the, the, the top 15 in the world and maybe he can take that further. So uh, in order to get some proof to that, we need to see him get someone in the rankings, some higher opposition, and it's time for that. So I'll give, uh, I'll give Nathaniel Wood some shine here. Plus, awesome fight against Andre Feely. I mean... They, he got dropped. He dropped Philly. He came back from adversity. Just a fantastic performance. So very much uh, enjoyed that that fight from from Nathaniel Wood. Did you agree with the scores? Twenty nine, twenty eight for Wood. Yeah, uh, that's what I had it. I had it. Um, I thought Nathaniel won the first. Right? Did he or did he get dropped in the first? No, he got dropped in the second. I'm pretty sure. Uh, he like got dropped. Yeah, yeah, he got dropped uh, briefly, and then he hurt Feely badly. That's why round one went to him. So he got right, right, yeah, he, sort of, he got dropped like eighteen seconds into the fight with right. like a straight left, yeah. and then yeah, yeah. I scored the first round for for Wood, second round for Feely, and then third round I did think Wood did enough to to get the win. I know Feely was upset about the decision from from what I uh, recall, but um, again, a close fight, but still, I, I felt pretty comfortable scoring it for for Nathaniel. Most of MMA decisions had it for Wood as well. Most of Twitter did. I think it just came down to damage, and I'm sorry. I know activity means something, but not according to the criteria. The criteria is, is really pretty uh, 
blatant right now. And and I think everyone is finally starting to see it. Even the announcers were uh, kept bringing it up. All right, Fada, how about you? Who flew under the radar for you on the London card that you want to give some shine to? Well, there are a lot of names that you could throw in there, and Sky Vies and El Daddy through Johnny Parsons, and I think he definitely deserves some uh, some rub for his fight of the night uh, against Danny Roberts. He almost didn't make weight. He had to come back a second time, so that's a good shot. But the name I'm going to go, because this is called Under the Radar, is definitely Julia Storyalenko. If you're talking about somebody that nobody was even talking about, all they were talking about was how she doesn't deserve to be in the co-main event. I know they were looking at her record. They were kind of criticizing uh, her past weight mishaps. Is she even going to make 125? She had uh, weight issues in other divisions before, and now she's trying to make her flyweight debut. It was all negative headlines towards Julia Staryalenko. And even at Media Day, I was the only one who asked her questions. So if we're talking about under the radar and someone who was completely dismissed and underappreciated, it's definitely Julia Staryalenko. And you could see in those images there uh, her emotion after the win. Uh, she ended up getting the first round arm bar, which if you look at her record, should have been something that we all thought about. Now I'm going to put my hand up and admit that I picked McCann, but the way the fight ended, we shouldn't be surprised. I mean, 10 of her 11 professional wins are by first round arm bar. So it's literally her thing. So, uh, you know, pre-fight, post-fight, she was talking about how flyweight is going to be her permanent home. She kind of brushed off at the weigh-ins, like kind of showing you like, I mean, Molly was standing right behind like waiting to see if julia was going to make weight uh so it was a lot of negativity towards julia and i can imagine she felt that so to go out there co-main event to have a performance like that in quote-unquote enemy territory which she says shouldn't be the case because she's from lithuania and she trained with roger gracie in london but um yeah i just thought that you couldn't have not been happy for her after uh the storylines heading into it and a, a performance like that. And Hey, you know, she's won two of her past three, you know, she was on the br- brink of potentially being let go. And now she feels like uh, she could make some noise at flyway. So we'll see. I mean, everything she said pre-fight uh, proved to be true on fight night. So just to based off of everything, uh, the negativity towards her and that outcome, I feel like she was definitely most under the radar. Excellent choice and very thorough with the explanation. And I, I guess that actually, because when I saw her react the way she did emotionally, it kind of reminded me of Misha Tate. I mean, she just let it go. And now it seemed like she was caring a lot, getting ignored at media day or just kind of cast aside. And then having your opponent watch over you about the whole weight thing, plus you're one in five going in, that's a lot of pressure in itself. But let me say this, too. I know she won by submission, and everybody kept saying grappler versus striker. I thought she more than held her own as a striker versus striker against McCann. There was some moments in the fight where McCann was like, well, where'd this striking come from? She could just not get going. I mean, she did a couple times, but Stolarenko's striking didn't look uh, like it was you know, inferior to McCann's at all. So great, great performance by uh, Stolarenko. All right, how about you, Goes? Who was your under-the-radar performer for the London card? I got to go with my man, Paul Craig. He gets my my vote here. Look, I thought he was interesting at light heavyweight, but seeing him at middleweight now, that shocked me. I mean, he you look at his body, his frame, he looks perfect there, man. Big frame uh, for that division. And the thing about his game is like instantly he kind of presents a threat to whoever is at top, right? Because he's so good with his ground game. If you look at the fight, I thought he lost round one. He was able to kind of get things back on track in round two, gather himself. He fought through adversity. Um, anytime you have to fight at a different weight class for the first time, I'm sure it's got to be in the back of your head the whole time, right? Like uh, that weight cut's got to be horrible. 
just not really knowing that having that recipe down just yet, how you want to look, how you want to perform. I thought he did pretty well for his first time at middleweight. And I'm happy to see him again, man. Like, I think 185 is a game changer for that guy. No doubt. All great choices. Um, I'm only going to give a shout out to Fair Zion because he killed my parlay. But he did look good, honestly. Um, I had a nice parlay going and I was on Team Jai Herbert. So when Leon Edwards is screaming at him, I was like, yeah, man, tell him what's up. Uh, <laughs> but th- I thought they they focused too much on the wrestling. I was expecting a real more fun, pleasing matchup between the two. But even Ferris, he went to some grappling, you know. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it's great that both guys rounded out their game. I can live. It was just a $25 parlay, but it would have paid a lot, guys, because the other four came in and Jai Herbert didn't come in. So that one stings. But I got to tip my hat to Ferris Zion. Uh, well, go ahead, you want to Yeah, because I'm working on a little short video that I did on him through Fight Week, Abby and I. So um, that it, the the grappling thing, when I asked Jai about it in, in Media Day, he said Ferris is probably going to be the one to shoot because we all looked at it as two kickboxers fighting each other. And then when I spoke to Ferris about it, he said he's expecting striking first round, grappling second round. Didn't really say who was going to initiate, but I was surprised to see Jai uh, really kind of go for the the takedowns. I didn't expect that game plan. Well, tell Fires, no no disrespect that I went with the Englishman. It's just that English the Englishman usually topped the French. Just ask PSG what happened the last time Manchester United showed up. But anyway, we move on. Uh, <laughs> this week we have UFC 291 taking place in Salt Lake City, Utah. We will crown a new BMF, and Jorge Masvidal will be there to put the belt around the new BMF. As you all know, Dustin Poirier and Justin Gagey are the two combatants in play here. Are you all fired up over this whole BMF ballyhoo the way you would be over a proper title fight? What two fighters are leading the way for the next BMF fight? So two-part question there, and Fada, we go back to you. Yeah, I mean, listen, how could you not be fired up over Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier fighting? I mean, those guys always deliver BMF title or not. I mean, these these guys are have entertain this fight after fight after fight they're always fight of the year candidates if not the fight of the year uh their first fight in 2018 was amazing i mean when i think of it as someone who pulls all-nighters to watch these fights there is no way for a second that i would even think of dozing off when these guys fight i'll make sure i get my coffee in i'm not gonna lie pulling all-nighters is hard anyone on my side of the world knows that but i know that i'm gonna mentally prepare to make sure that my eyes don't even semi-close when these guys fight and even if they did for some reason the, the craziness and the madness and the wildness is going to cause the commentators to be screaming and it's impossible to not be glued to your screen when those two guys fight. So I don't, I mean, BMF or not, I just think that these guys are both much watch TV. And when you look at stylistically the way both of them fight, uh, it, it's going to be fireworks. Um, and in terms of the second part of the question, uh, the BMF title, now I don't know how they're going to go moving forward. Is it going to become title defenses or are they going to do the same thing with Masvidal where they just put a fresh matchup? But if they do a fresh matchup, I would go Max Holloway, Conor McGregor. I think it's time that we saw that mm. fight again. I'll always, I'll never forget my sit down with Conor when Holloway just skated uh, by and he pointed him out. And Holloway and his team were so excited about that they felt like that was the seed, as uh, <laughs> as uh, Joey Diaz says. But like, you know, they felt like that was what was going to set up the the rematch. It didn't happen, but it could very well happen when you see the way both of their careers are going. McGregor's never pulled out of a fight. He's always entertaining. Say what you want about him. 
He always delivers in fight night. Same thing for Max Holloway. Who hasn't that guy fought? He's fought literally everyone. You can't not consider Max Holloway a BMF. So I think if I was doing a fresh matchup, uh, I would do Holloway and, and McGregor too. I think it would even make sense right now. Okay. I like it. All right, goes. how about you? BMF uh, title. Is it as exciting as when they headline with a proper title? And also, who do you think would be, let's say they did this annually, who would be a good uh, set of candidates for next year's BMF? Mm. Well, look, this fight, it's, it sells itself, right? I mean, both guys, their, their reputations, we just know what we're in for. We're going to be excited. Does the BMF add any extra excitement to it? On my hat, like, I don't hate it, but at the same time, like, to me, it just seems kind of weird that you can't lose it. That That's what's uh, a little strange to me. And I feel like the fighters that are involved, yes, you, what you do in the cage is very important. But I also think, like, you got to have, like, a little edge to it, right? Like, Nate Diaz and, and Jorge Masvidal have a little edge to them. I think that's why it made it uh, a BMF aside from what they're able to do in the cage, the edge that they brought into it, that persona I think has a little bit to play with. And when you look at Justin Gagey and Dustin Poirier, they're two of the nicest dudes you'll ever meet in person, man. So in a way that that BMF title kind of falls a little bit for me, but if you were going to do another one, I don't know that I could point to particular people, but I would point to a division. I think Bantamweight definitely do the, the, the BBMF over there, the, the baddest Bantamweight motherfucker in the world. Like, that would be dope. And I guess if I have to give you a name, maybe Henry Cejudo and Marav Devalishvili, those two guys can get pretty edgy and, and can kind of get in each other's faces. I think that would be a fun fight. I like it. Good job, Ghost. So that one caught me off guard there a little bit. Um, all right, Danny, how about you? Are you fired up? You know, some people are saying in the chat that maybe this was the UFC's way of squeezing 80 bucks out of us by just throwing that on there. Maybe they shouldn't do it annually, blah, blah, blah. But how about you? Are you I mean, Okay, for one, who isn't pumped up about it, right? So more or less the question is, are you more pumped up than, for example, let's say the Vancouver card. No, no, no slight at the GOAT or anything like that, but Aldana versus Nunez, that wasn't mm-hmm. everyone's cup of tea either. No, I'm definitely pumped up. I mean, for all the reasons that Farah and Ghost pointed out, I mean, this fight is just amazing. We saw the first one, and the second one just promises to be just as good, if not better. Like, this this fight's just you're, – you're grabbing two of the most exciting fighters in the history of the sport. Like, the amount of performance of the night and fight night bonuses that these two have is just ridiculous. Um, and they just happen to be elite fighters too, so you, you're kind of checking all the boxes. Because sometimes these wild fights – usually are seen at a lower level, not really at the very elite where there's a lot on the line. So there's a lot of refinement, a lot of calculated risks. These guys just kind of, again, it's a car crash, like Farah said. So I absolutely love this fight. But I also do agree with the people on the chat. Um, It it is a way to jazz up a pay-per-view. It is a way to make a pay-per-view feel like a pay-per-view because the UFC has had this routine of making pay-per-views have a title on the line, right? We've seen a few that have not, right? Like the probably the most recent one, uh, Masvidal versus Colby Covington. But really, outside of a few things uh, like Nate Diaz and Connor and this and that, they really always want to get a belt in there because it feels important. It feels special. It feels like these numbered events, um, they're must-see. Maybe not because they're, they don't have the biggest talent, but at least for just relevancy, like it is something big happening in the sport. Um, I don't like the BMF title being in circulation. Um Again, style-wise and, and just savagery-wise, yes, these two are bad motherfuckers, as Go said. But um, 
I think the BMF title, title was more than that because we can apply that to a lot of people. Look, Dan Hooker, if we want to stick around in that same weight class, look at what he did against Jalen Turner. There's a lot of guys that are ready to bite down under mouthpiece and throw down. I mean, you can do Michael Chandler as well if you want to stick around in that same weight class. So I, I don't really think the BMF belt is about that, is, is, is a little bit about that, but also about kind of some edginess about the street factor outside of it. And that's what the, the Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal fight was was exactly that because Nate Diaz has always been about it. Jorge Masvidal as well. Uh, it's just one's 305, the other one's 209. But um, it just kind of was perfect for that moment. And it felt like if there was ever a title uh, on the line, and also these guys were were superstars, but at the same time, maybe not at the very, very elite level to be challenging for belts or at least be winning them. Uh, so it kind of felt fitting to honor them because they are badass fighters with a belt. And I feel like by making more of these fights, you're diluting the original idea, the historical moment that that fight had. Um, and I would hate to see it in circulation because you're diluting furthermore the 155-pound belt. Um, I am happy, hopefully, this, because it's technically a championship fight, this does mean that more money is going to be allocated to both Gagey and Poirier. So I'm happy about that. I'm always happy for fighters to be making a a a bigger buck and I will never hate on that. But um, the whole BMF idea, like, I don't, I don't know. Something's missing. I don't think it matches hundred percent the original spirit of the BMF belt. Uh, but am I excited to watch it? Yes. And I would pay for the pay-per-view even if there wasn't that title on the line. And I've done it before. Again, I just mentioned Masvidal versus um, Colby Covington. It doesn't have to be Connor always. So I would have been fine with this just being a, a pay-per-view so long as, you know, you got good fights in there. I don't need to see a title fight every time, but um, you know that's not the that's not the rules that the UFC plays with. So I guess we're getting a, a BMF title fight here. But yeah, and I think you nailed on something here. The BMF originally maybe gave an opportunity for Masvidal or Diaz, who didn't win a major belt, um, a chance to have that. You know, um, have that moment. And The Rock presented it. You know, Duran walked out with Masvidal. It was in yeah. New York City, for crying out loud. It sold a lot of pay-per-views. So it, the fight definitely carries weight in terms of the history of MMA. It has to be the right time. Maybe annually isn't enough. I don't know about World Cup style. Every four years, that might be too too long to wait. But I do like Poye and Gaethje uh, for the next one. I'd say this. I I think that fight feels more the BMF title for this pay-per-view feels more out of necessity than than the actual UFC going and looking at that fight and be like, you know what? That's actually fitting for the BMF belt, in my in my opinion. Uh, But again, I'm not hating on the fight. I'm going to watch it. It's an amazing fight. I just hating on the idea of the BMF belt coming back to live. I would have loved to see that be just exclusive to Nate Diaz and Jorge Masbiat. I would have loved to see Carlos Condon and, and um, Matt Brown fight for for it. Like, you know, there's just there's just certain names, man, that had just been some badasses over the years, and putting them in a cage where that belt on the line would be pretty classic. Um, all right, Joseph Boza was him that said it. The chat is asking for some shine. Thank you, Joseph Boza. It was hard to find it amongst all the bozos arguing <laughs> over whether the Earth is flat or not. <laughs> but let's give you some shine. And then let's finish up with this. Michael Venom Page was spotted at the UFC London card. How much of a priority should it be for the UFC to sign MVP? Goes, go first. Keep it tight. We're almost at the end. I don't know that it's the biggest priority for the UFC. Everybody aspires to be in the UFC, but let's keep it real. It's, it's That division 
uh, the fighters in there, the experience levels are off the chart, man. If you look at uh, guys like Usman, right, and Covington, they're wrestling heavy. Uh, you got guys like Gilbert Burns, Michael Chiesa, they're submission heavy. I don't know if Michael Venom Page wants to go there. I would go to PFL, uh, try and make a million dollars, be a fresh face over there. Okay. Uh, how about you, Danny? You agree with Goz or? No, I, I disagree with Goz here. Uh, I'd love to see Michael Venom Page in the UFC. There's tons of like good matchups for him. Do I see him as a champion? No, but can he have amazing fights against a guy like Vicente Luque or Jeff Neal or Steven Thompson, mm. for God's sakes, or Shafkat Rachmanov? I'm down for those fights. And the UFC needs him. If we look at this past UFC London card, like it was all right. Uh, but having a name like Michael Venom Page, I would say he might have even been sort of the biggest attraction or the biggest star if he would have been on the card. Um, so I think for that market, because it's clearly important for the UFC, they keep coming back to it. Um, yeah, Michael Venom Page is a, is a big figure, and I'd love to see him in the UFC. All right, Pada, looks like you're leaning that way as well. What, what did you think of the pop that he got out there? Yeah, I, I, I'm going to agree with uh, Danny here. And I spoke to MVP a few weeks ago when I was in uh, London. And he, when I asked him, I said, what are your goals right now? And you're curious that I want to continue to make people feel something like to, uh, to entertain them. And, and because he's saying that, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, it's time for him to compete in the UFC. You don't have to match him up against grapplers and stuff like that. You don't, it doesn't even have to be a matter of the title picture for him. He is 36 uh, he could just go out there and have entertaining fights. And like Danny said, a lot of people were kind of complaining about this uh, uh, London card. And if MVP was on it, he for sure would have been one of the uh, biggest attractions on it. So I, I, why not? I would want to see him. Uh, I think he has a lot of personality, a very exciting fighting style. And uh, I would love to kind of see him uh, compete at the O2. And there are a lot of matchups, a lot of fun matchups with guys that are ranked and um, have... Uh, credible resumes that he could go up against because of course he's a uh, you know he's holds multiple records for for Bellator for most finishes most wins uh in the welterweight division so he's a guy who's experienced and fought uh, uh, the who's who so you would want to match him up against solid names shout out to Johnny Parsons for calling him out he kind of butchered his call I don't know why Patty mm-hmm. came out of his mouth in the octagon but then when he went out in the back he said I meant to call out MVP I don't hate it is he gonna get the fight probably not but like I don't hate that he's calling him out he's obviously somebody that people see as as a name that you want to fight. So, yeah, I would want to see him in the UFC. And you know what? He's been violent. He's had a few endings that have been pretty violent. John McCarthy says the one with against Cyborg was about as it, – it unsettled him about as much as any fight he's ever done, and that's the one where he cracked his skull. Male Cyborg, former uh, husband of Chris Cyborg, so he's delivered on that end. And may I say, also a Manchester United fan, MVP. All right, last one, guys. Super tight. Uh, let's do it. Javier Mendez says it's not going to be GSP against Habib in grappling. Who should it be? So I even sped things up a little bit here. Danny, give me a name. GSP against who? Grappling. Give me 10 seconds worth. Damien Maya. Uh, I think he threw that name out there. I think for the OGs, maybe for the newer guys, they're going to be like, who? But, but Damien Maya, we all love him. It'd be a nice treat for the. For the OG, so I'm going to go with Damien. Fada, how about you? GSP versus who? Yeah, I'm going to go with Maya as well, because you also need a name that, that like Danny said, maybe the New Wave fans might not know him, but he is a, a name, like a legend. When you think jujitsu, you think Damien Maya. So, yeah, I like that pick. ADCC champ, too. Might be a little too much for GSP that he's asking for there. How about you, guys? Same. I mean, GSP always tested himself against the best in MMA. Why not continue that in, uh, in grappling? Damien Maya is a, a legend. Mm, okay. 
All right. Three-headed monster. They're all going with Damian Maya. Um, how about Kevin Lee? He just retired. They used to be teammates, and Kevin Lee didn't have a bad ground game. Uh, maybe that could put some money in Kay Lee's pocket against the legend. Who knows? I don't know if it's big enough to sell, though. No disrespect. Folks, thank you so much for tuning in. Every Monday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, check it out. Spinning back click. And, of course, the replay is up. So if you caught on halfway through, you can just go in there and check out the replay uh, to this fantastic show. Uh, thank you again to the Facebook audience for tuning in. It sounds like this will be a, a weekly thing for you guys as well. Joining the YouTube audience. Don't forget, Ghost and I are going to be hosting a watch-along. UFC 291 this Saturday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Pada, are we doing some uh, preview before that? Yes, we are. The preview show. Okay, 5 Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific with Pada Hanun. Check that out. Folks, we're out of here. Enjoy the rest of your day. Go out and be a champion. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.